0: Welcome to the Super High Yield Anesthesia Podcast, where we will discuss high-yield concepts for students on their anesthesia rotation. I am your host, Scott, the fourth-year medical student. Thanks for tuning in to episode 16 of the Super High Yield Anesthesia Podcast, and today we'll talk about the post-operative anesthesia unit, or the PACU, and the outline for this episode would be things to do before leaving the OR, things to do once the patient is in the, is in the PACU, uh, and then we're going to talk about the PACU sign-out, the criteria for discharge, and introduce you to common post-op complications. And with that, let's get started. So before the patient leaves the OR, there are at least four things that you need to make sure happens before they leave. So one, if the patient has that the patient has a patent airway. Two, that the patient has adequate ventilation and oxygenation. Three, that they have stable vitals. And four, a member of the anesthesia team is going to escort the patient. Once the patient is in the PACU, the vitals would be measured. So they would do this every five minutes for the first 15 minutes and every 15 minutes after that. And every patient will get a supplemental oxygen and place on a post-oximeter. So the package sign-out is very important so that the PACU staff knows the patient's history and any special instructions. And giving detailed reports to the staff would help them take care of any potential complications. So I I would encourage you to take a look at the show notes or to look in page 466 of the Anesthesia Student Survival Guide which gives you like an outline of the PACI sign out. And if you like uh, a reference to the survival guide, it's in the show notes. So either way, look in the show notes. So this includes four main sections. So one is the pre-op history, two, the intraoperative history, three, the patient status, and four, the post-op instructions. So for pre-op history, you're going to give the staff things like medications, allergies, past medical history, the underlying diagnosis, and any pre-medications. The intraoperative history is to include the procedure that was done, anesthesia type, any medications and fluids that are given, the estimated blood loss and urine output, the intraoperative Um, any intraoperative events or problems, and the vital sign ranges. Next section is patient status. So we're going to give a report on the airway. So that's going to include the pre-op exam, airway management, and the endotracheal tube position. You're going to talk about the size and location of the different lines or catheters and any other invasive monitors. You're going to talk about the level of consciousness, the pain level, and the intravascular volume status. And lastly, you're going to give the, the overall impression of the patient status. And the last section is post op instructions, and you give acceptable ranges of the vitals, so like uh, blood loss, vitals, and uh, urine output. You're going to tell the staff to look out for potential cardiovascular or respiratory problems that you anticipate. And you're going to order any labs or diagnostic studies like a chest x-ray or ECG. And you're going to give the physician contact information. Okay, now that you gave the PACI sign out and the patient is recovering well, uh, we're going to discuss the criteria for discharge. And the minimum criteria comes down to saying, is the patient stable, and can they function on their own? So the specific uh, minimum criteria includes, one, the patient is easily aroused, two, they have full orientation, three, they are able to maintain and protect the airway, four, they have stable vitals for at least 15 to 30 minutes. Five, they are able to call for help. And six, there are no obvious surgical complications. And again, these are minimum criteria. Uh, and if you want like a more robust thing to look at, um, there's something called the post-anesthetic recovery score that's available for you to look it up if you're interested. Okay, lastly, we're going to introduce you to different post-op complications that you would commonly see in the PACU. Um, I won't go over every single like disease because that's like an episode on its own. So I'm just going to give you or walk you through it via the organ systems and give you differentials for different symptoms that the patient might have. And the big idea regarding treatment for various post-op complications is basically treat the underlying cause. So taking the whole situation together, like uh, the pre-op history to what happened to OR, try to figure out if you can use any of of that information to guide you to a diagnosis. Okay, the first post-op complication is post-op pain and the severe pain could be managed with opioids though that would also increase the post-op nausea so using other methods like regional anesthesia NSAIDs acetaminophen or gabapentin would also be a good choice to control the pain as the name suggests post-op nausea and vomiting is a common complication uh, but we covered that in the previous episode, so I would you I would direct you to that one. Okay, now we'll go through the organ systems. For pulmonary complications, the most common respiratory complication is airway obstruction. So, for example, the tongue falls on the posterior pharynx and occludes the airway. So, treatment for that would be usually supplemental oxygen placing them in the sniffing position, uh, using any airway adjuncts, or if the airway is completely obstructed, possibly reintubate the patient. Another complication includes uh, laryngospasms, and the way this presents is high-pitched sounds or absence of it if it's a complete obstruction, and if the patient has a history of repeated trauma. So for example, if it it was a difficult airway, there's like multiple attempts to try to put in the ET tube or something like that. Treatment for that includes things like positive pressure, mask ventilation, airway adjuncts, suctioning, succinylcholine if it's refractory, and in absolute worst case scenarios, intubation, or emergency cric if nothing is working at all. Okay, so different differentials for hypoventilation includes things like residual effects from anesthetics or neuromuscular blockades, pain, diaphragm dysfunction, distended abdomen, hypercapnia, and opioids. So those were differentials for hypoventilation. And I guess to reiterate, these are not like the only differentials for each of these things, but the more common ones. Okay, the next differentials for hypoxemia include intrapulmonary shunting, pneumothorax, particularly if the patient has a history of central lines, prolonged ventilation with low tidal volumes. Essentially, the patient was not moving enough air, so then they're not getting oxygen to the tissues. Another differential includes bronchial obstruction, pulmonary edema, and atelectasis. Now we're going to move on to the cardiovascular system, and we're going to give you different differentials for hypotension, hypertension, and tachycardia, and bradycardia. So for hypotension, you can have differentials for different things based on the physiologic issue of the heart. So things like different differentials for decreased preload, uh, left ventricular dysfunction, and decreased afterload. So differentials for decreased preload includes hypovolemia, bleeding, pericardial tamponade, a tension pneumothorax, and an air embolism. Differentials for left ventricular dysfunction includes metabolic disorders and myocardial infarction and volume overload, and differentials for decreased afterload includes uh, after effects of anesthetics and an inflammatory response. And differentials for hypertension and tachycardia uh, also can go under different categories. So it can be caused by noxious stimuli, which include things like pain and anxiety. If they have a distended bladder or an ET tube placed, different physiologic abnormalities. So, for example, an acidosis or hypoxemia or myocardial infarction hypertension and tachycardia could be caused by medications specifically adrenergic medications including bronchodilators and lastly due to anesthetics so things to keep in mind are ketamine and isoflurane for bradycardia different medications that could cause bradycardia include things like neostigmine and opioids and definitely if the patient has a history of neuroaxial regional anesthesia. Think of high spinal anesthesia. Different physical causes of bradycardia includes things like the Vassalva maneuver, maneuver um, a distended bladder, and or simulation of the pharynx. And the last system we're going to talk about is the neurosystem. And we're going to give you Possible differentials for delayed awakening, altered mental status, post-op neuropathy, and post-op weakness. So for delayed awakening, differentials include residual anesthetics or residual effects from sedatives or analgesic medications. Delayed awakening could be caused by hypothermia, metabolic abnormalities, or even stroke. Differentials for altered mental status, or AMS, includes hypoxemia, any metabolic derangements, cerebral hypoperfusion, or a history of substance abuse. So for example, if the patient has symptoms of alcohol withdrawal, and that's how you for boards. And lastly, AMS can be caused by other medications including scopolamine and atropine. And regarding post-op neuropathy, the most common type is peripheral nerve injuries. And these are usually self-limiting, so resolves within 6 to 12 weeks, though long-term damage is possible. And the less common thing is spinal cord injury, and this could be caused due to positioning during intubation or hematoma after neuraxial anesthesia. And the last differentials is post-op weakness. So the most common cause of weakness is residual neuromuscular blockade. Other differentials include cerebrovascular accident or a pre-existing neuromuscular disorder. And lastly, we'll just briefly talk about hypothermia. Um, there's so many different causes of this, so you're going to have to use the history to kind of figure it out. But in the meantime, treatment for that would include forced air warming, uh, reassurance, and if they're shivering, you can use meperidine, which is an opioid. <laughs> Okay, and that wraps up this episode on post-operative anesthesia unit or the PACU. And that also wraps up the core fundamentals uh, episodes of this podcast. And from here on out, we'll explore different advanced topics, different special topics. So if you enjoyed these previous episodes, I really hope you continue to listen to any future episodes that i post and if you listen to one or all of the previous ones i just wanted to thank you for doing so and i really do hope that it helps you out in your rotation or on boards or in anything else again thank you guys so much for for listening and I'll end this episode by giving you guys a joke from BoardPanda.com, And it goes, I lost my job at the bank on my very first day. A woman asked me to check her balance, so I pushed over. Thanks for listening. This is Scott, the fourth-year Malco student, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.